Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Campsite Media. Hello, can you hear me? Right, okay. Hello? Hello? So, what do you want me to say? Let's do it. And it's just um... Hello? Chameleon. 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 Season 4. Scam Likely. A production of Campside Media. Oh. <laughs> the investigators we've met so far, Dave, Chris, and Dylan, they'd gotten pretty deep into the scam. They'd followed the money that Americans were duped into handing over to the scammers. They'd followed the people in the U.S. who were laundering that money through prepaid debit cards and money orders. They'd even posed as scam victims to learn more about how and why so many people would fall for the con. But who exactly were the scammers on the other end of the line? Where did they work? Where did they live? Did they operate out of dark basements or office buildings or just their homes? I wanted to find out for myself, and I wanted to actually meet the people who had been inside the operation. So, my producer Johnny Kaufman and I flew to India. We landed in Mumbai, India's financial capital and home to Bollywood. It's also the city where I went to college. Stepping out of the airport, the humid air and the cacophony of traffic hits me like a wave. And soon I feel totally at home, like I never left. The people who make scam calls to the U.S., as a general rule, they're not too excited to talk about their work. Certainly not to journalists visiting from the country where they've been fleecing targets. But I knew of two young guys in a middle-class neighborhood in Borivoli, a Mumbai suburb, who I thought could help. Their names were Pawan Pujari and Jayesh Dubey. They're in their early 20s. They grew up around here, and they still live here. In the U.S., they'd be working their first jobs or finishing up at a community college. Johnny and I took a taxi from our hotel in downtown Mumbai and drove for over an hour in heavy traffic to get to Borivoli. Like most suburban neighborhoods in Mumbai, the area is a dense mix of apartment buildings and office towers and shops lining the sidewalks. We got to the vicinity of the address we were looking for. And let's ask in that sweet shop. We had to stop at a local cake shop, Creamy Creations, in a busy section near the center of the neighborhood because we couldn't find where we'd agreed to meet them. Addresses in Indian neighborhoods are often like that. Sometimes the best you can do is get close. A few minutes after we'd arrived, Jayesh met us there. So this is Johnny, my, my colleague from Mazagia. You're looking good, man. Let's go. Let's go. We walked across some busy streets. He showed us a building around a corner without any signs out front, a few stories high. We just didn't know if for some reason you didn't want to like disclose where you were or something.
from Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cam Likely, the fourth season of Chameleon. I'm Yudijit Bhattacharjee. Hello. 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 You have to make an immediate payment. The minimum amount is $2,000. Oh my God, I mean, come on. Don't hang up the phone, just be on the line. Episode 3, Meet the Callers. The story of how Pawan and Jayesh ended up becoming scam callers starts right after they graduated from high school. They were both from families that were not well-to-do, families that lived in tiny apartments where everybody had to sleep in the same room. Pawan and Jayesh hadn't done great in school, but they were street smart and enterprising and wanted to start their own business. But they had no money. The way Pawan describes it, they were basically just drifting along. At that time, we don't know what to do. We got a vacation, okay, and we are playing Dota 2 game on a cyber cafe. <laughs> Pawan's talking about a shop where people can sit in front of a computer for a small fee to be online. So basically, we are playing games online, okay, and also we are looking for a job. Pawan's best friend, Jayesh, was in exactly the same boat. As were a lot of their friends, Jayesh says. They weren't doing anything. They were just sitting home, playing games with us, and they had no such plans like we have to go and we have to work. The plan to start a business was what distinguished Pawan and Jayesh. They make a good team. Pawan is bigger, louder, the marketing guy. Jayesh is slender and quiet, more of a thinking type. If Jayesh comes up with an idea, Pawan can sell it. We, we are the only two we, uh, guys in the group who had plans to work at that point of time, 2016, 2015, at that point. But Jayesh and Pawan weren't finding anything. They were spending a lot of time searching for opportunities on Indian job sites, quicker.com, jobsdigger.com, applying for whatever they could find. But all they were hearing was silence. And then... I just uh, entered my details over there, and... At the, from that, I got a call from this uh, call center's team. It's a call center in Thani, a city so close to Mumbai that it's considered basically a suburb. This call center, located on a commercial stretch called Mira Road, they tell Pawan, Okay, you just come for the interview. The monthly salary is 20,000 rupees, around $250, which is pretty good money more than what many college graduates make. Enough for Pawan to live on his own if he wanted, and maybe buy a motorbike after a few months. So he's definitely interested. Mira Road is 10 miles from where he and Jayesh live. Pawan goes in for the interview. The hiring manager asks him a few questions to test his English language skills, which are average. But that's okay. They offer him the job on the spot. And they're really enthusiastic about him. Even though Pawan has no experience, they tell him, you're perfectly capable, you'll do great. So Pawan asks if they would like to consider hiring his friend Jayesh. They say, sure, send him in. And Jayesh gets hired too. It feels like their big break. We had plans, I'm telling you. We wanted to uh, open our own call center, but we wanted to outsource it. Means if there is some company in uh, US, okay, we had that knowledge. We knew that uh, we have friends who have outsourced the process. They get the billings, okay? So we had that knowledge. We were interested in something like that. 
The call center job was going to give them the experience they needed to start a call center of their own, and the salary would allow them to save up some capital they would need for their business. The day after their interviews, they're supposed to start working. Pawan and Jayesh take a bus together to go to the call center. It was actually an eight-story building, uh, very close to highway. We were on the sixth floor and it was a hundred-seater call center. And a lot of people were already sitting on the floor yeah. when we went. And there was a guy who was giving uh, questions and answers sheet for people to learn. So right. What are the questions you might face and what are the rebuttals for that? Right. And he was passing them on to everyone. Pawan started asking some questions. In the training, no, uh, I asked him what is the process. So he, uh, he told me that it's a tax collection. Tax collection? Okay, Pawan thinks. Maybe a collection agency in the U.S. is outsourcing their calls to India. It seems weird to him, but he thinks maybe he just doesn't know enough yet. Then the trainer gives them new names for an American audience. Paul Edward and Adam Williams. He also gives them a script that opens with an introduction saying the call is from the Internal Revenue Service. When he gave the script, no, okay, yeah. and there was an IRS, and uh, he was uh, explaining what is IRS. In India, there is an income tax department. In the uh, US, there is an um, internal, internal revenue service. This sounds ridiculous to Pawan. Why would the US government be outsourcing its tax collection to an Indian call center? He decides to speak up. Yeah, I told them, it's a scam. Yeah. So he said, other trainer said, yeah, it's a scam. If you want to work, then work, or you can leave. Jayesh is sitting right next to Pawan. There were around 50 to 60 people, out of which 15 to 16 people left because they came to understand that this is not going to help in their careers, so and so. You can't show this, you know, in your life, in your future. What will you show as an experience? You were working in a scam call center. You can't use that. Right. So for a lot of reasons, 15 to 16 people left, but a lot of people stayed. Okay, and the incentives were the dollars you earn the rupees you get. Uh, for example, if I make $5,000 of sale, I get 5,000 rupees here. One rupee is equivalent to a little over one cent. So getting a commission of a rupee for every dollar earned, or I should say stolen, might not sound like a great deal. Scamming Dhruv and his wife out of $30,000 would have netted a commission of about $400, a tiny fraction of the stolen proceeds but Jayesh didn't think that was anything to sneeze at. That was the incentive part. And that was very interesting for us at that time. I said, if I read this script, okay, you are saying me that I am getting two to three thousand dollars. It's fantastic. <laughs> Pawan's talking about how much money he expected to make in a month. The whole thing was intriguing to him too. Like he'd been invited behind the scenes to see an exciting magic trick unfold. We decided to stay because we were also very curious to know how this scam will happen. More after the break. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. 
With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Is Meghan Markle like Princess Diana? Or is she just a social climber? I was silent. Were you silent or were you silenced? Is she a breath of fresh air or a master manipulator? That's what we're going to find out on my podcast, Infamous. Apparently, ambition is a terrible, terrible thing. We'll look at what happened when two dysfunctional families came together. It's the family that I suppose she's never had. And how Meghan and Harry going Hollywood all went down. Only on the podcast, Infamous. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. I told you at the beginning of the show that I had more than a passing interest in scams like the one Pawan and Jayesh worked for. I'm a journalist, and I've always been interested in deceptions because I like making the discovery that things are not always what they seem. I also grew up in India, and I live in the U.S., so that's made me especially curious about this relatively new industry of Indians scamming Americans. A few years ago, I wrote a big piece about a similar scam for the New York Times Sunday magazine. I'd wanted to know, like everybody else, why had India become the hub of this enterprise? There are simple answers to that question. India has a legitimate call center industry, so the infrastructure to start a scamming call center already exists. Also, there aren't enough opportunities for the swell of young English-speaking job seekers flooding the labor market every year. So, working in a scam call center, for some, is an attractive option. That said, scam calls from India are actually a recent phenomenon, dating back only about 10 to 15 years. There were scam calls back in the 80s and 90s too. The more common term for them was telefraud. On Capitol Hill today, testimony about a thriving scam that has just caught on in the past few months. It involves people portraying themselves as salesmen over the phone and stealing money from the checking accounts of their victims. The tactics used by scammers then weren't that different from what Chris, Dave, and Dylan would end up investigating. It works like this. The crooks call, offer a prize or some other attractive deal, and say they need your checking account number to make sure you qualify. When authorities managed to track down the perpetrators of these scams, they found that the scammers tended to be Americans preying on other Americans. They would literally just open up a phone book and start calling every number they could in hopes of snagging victims. A lot of these early scam operations were run out of South Florida. But over time, the scams started to move out of the country. We first exposed the booming Canadian lottery racket a year ago. Canada became the next hub of scam calls to the United States. But even as victims across the country are getting their money back, many more are still getting fleeced in similar scams that continue to thrive across the Canadian border. But by the early 2000s, these Canadian scam call centers had fizzled out, thanks to law enforcement efforts. By then, though, 
the world had been transformed by the Internet, which, among other things, became an enabler of a variety of transnational criminal activities. Scammers in India figured out that they could use the Internet to place international phone calls to targets in North America, the United Kingdom, and Australia for almost no cost. But the Internet works in both directions. Could you introduce yourself to the podcast? Yeah, sure. Okay, I go by the name Jim Browning, but it's not my real name. I don't want to be overdramatic about this, but I do that for my own protection. Uh, I disrupt multi-million dollar scams, and I try to keep my real personal details out of the public as much as possible. I've known Jim for over three years now. He's Irish, works a day job, but he's also an internet celebrity. You see, he has a special talent for exposing scam calls and the scammers behind them. When I get these phone calls, I thought to myself, maybe if I record what happens on one of these scam phone calls, maybe I could put that on the internet, give it a good clear recording, and then kind of warn people that, look, if you get a phone call like this, this is what they're after, this is how it works. And I naively thought that if I put this on the internet, it'll maybe scare these people off and they'll maybe stop calling again. But I was very wrong about that. Jim's videos have become a sensation on YouTube, where he has nearly 4 million subscribers. Viewers are delighted to take a peek inside a scamming call center, something they'd never be able to do without Jim's help. Here's one video. I was listening to lots and lots of scammers to try and figure out who they were. And when they were bored, they would occasionally sing. But Jim isn't just interested in the call centers. He wants to trick them and foil them. In one such sabotage operation, he swapped out the message being sent to victims from the scammer's robocaller with an automated message of his own. Hello, this is an automated message being sent from scammers from India. They were going to try to scam you by claiming that you would get a refund from your computer maintenance company. However, this is just a scam so that they can access your computer and will try to get money from your bank account. If you ever get a message like this, it is always a scam. Please do not mention that I have changed their message, but if you would like to waste their time, you can speak to these scammers by pressing one on your telephone keypad. As you can hear in this message, Jim specializes in busting a slightly different kind of scam than the IRS scam that Dave, Chris, and Dylan were chasing, and different than the one Jayesh and Bowen were starting to become a part of at the Mira Road call center. Jim typically goes after tech support scams, which involve scammers contacting victims under the guise of offering computer support like antivirus cleanup. Once Jim understood exactly how these scammers operated, he started setting a trap for them. And I deliberately let them on with the sole purpose that I lull them into a false sense of security. And they think they're speaking to an old man or woman. I've got a voice changer as well. And I act as a naive computer user. I make the mistakes that an older person might. I get them to spell things out. I, I act a little bit silly and stupid with them. That's how Jim hacks into the call centers. 
he deliberately allows the scammers access to a virtual machine that he controls, which to the scammers looks like a victim's computer. That way, Jim isn't putting any of his real information at risk. But once this connection is established, Jim plants software onto the scammer's device so he can eventually eavesdrop on their activities even after they've hung up. Effectively, he works like a Venus flytrap, pretending to be an oblivious flower. The scammer is lured inside, and then, bam, the trap shuts them in. And once they're inside, Jim can see everything. The list of numbers being called, spreadsheets, databases. He can even see the scammers wasting time as you'd expect in any other soul-crushing office job. They're not just singing. I've seen lots of them browsing porn, for sure. Uh, they will be playing games on them even, you know, even when they're on a phone call with a victim. Because it's very scripted, it gets quite boring. And they're spending most of their day saying, hello, this is Microsoft, or hello, this is Amazon, how can I help you? And they'll usually get a torrent of abuse because most people know it's a scam. So they will be tending to do exactly what you would do and I would do sitting on a computer and you're a bit bored. Jim has kept track of where these calls come from for over seven years. And he's found that 95% of them come from India. Despite his efforts to provide law enforcement in India with evidence he collects, the call centers there haven't slowed down. Why is this such a difficult crime to prevent and prosecute? Well, um, the only way to tackle this problem is to legally do what I do, which is actually go back to the scammers themselves, figure out who they are, and then pass that information on to the relevant authorities. But that's actually quite a difficult technical thing to do. So when the police say, well, if we're going to pin this on someone, we need a few things. We need evidence that the scam happened. So you need a good recording of that. You need to be able to prove that the call came from a particular call centre and the phone number won't tell you that at all. And the third thing is you need victims to come forward. And without all three of those, it's almost impossible to prosecute. That's what makes it very difficult. Which is a big part of the reason that Bowen and Jayesh were happy to take the job at the call centre, even after they knew it was a scam. Who was going to catch them? Whoever gets caught. Because, of course, they didn't know that the Mirror Road call center where they'd just started working was the target of a U.S. investigation, the one being led by Dave, Chris, and Dylan. You're listening to Scam Likely. More after this. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. What if you could become stronger, more resilient, cure disease, and all you have to do is get naked in the cold 
and breathe. You get into ice water, and instead of like freaking out, you relax. It's called the Wim Hof Method, and Gwyneth Paltrow and Justin Bieber love it. I do the ice plunge because it's good for your body. But there's also a dark side. How many people have died doing the Wim Hof Method? We can override even death! Listen on the podcast Infamous. That's Infamous, playing now. You're listening to Camellia from Campside Media. After Pawan and Jayesh decided to stay, to knowingly become part of a scam, they saw little downside. It beat playing video games at the cyber cafe all day. It felt like a real job. The first step in their big plan to start a business and make something of themselves. They would leave their homes at five in the evening and hop on a bus that took an hour and a half to get to Mirror Road. They'd work all through the night, finishing at 4.30 the next morning then take the bus back home, well before the hustle and bustle of Mumbai started. Working those hours might seem secretive and shady, but that was actually common. Because of the time difference, all the call centers that dealt with Americans operated at night in India, when it was daytime in the US. But there were some things that were unusual about the Mirror Road call center. For one, it was more secure. It was like a fortress. Entering the building, Pawan and Jayesh would take the elevator up to the sixth floor. There was a biometric session where you have to enter your fingerprint. The door will be unlocked. Then you have to get into the office. Once you're in the office, you can't go back again. Simple. Then they needed to turn over their personal devices. Okay, there was a box where you have to keep your phones and then you have to go to your place and you have to start walking. The office had an open floor plan with rows of workstations and chairs so that everyone could see everyone else. There were 100 computers on the floor, four to five pillars for the building to stand. And it was quite open floor. There were no cabins. There was only one cabin. And that cabin was visible to all the 100 people. And uh, he could see all the 100 people on the floor from, from his cabin. That's how the floor was. That cabin was the central office where the boss sat. That's where he gave everyone their salaries. The cabin was transparent and he used to bring a bag full of cash. At the time of salary, he used to keep all the cash on the table. He used to call employees by name by name, everyone. At the end of the day, or should I say night, they would go through the security procedures in reverse. Once the shift times are over, then you have to take your phone, you have to punch out, then only the door will open. Means the door will not open for anyone else. Anybody who else comes will be standing outside. Simple. When the scam started in 2012, the scammers used to cold call their victims, disguising where they were calling from to make it look like the call was from an official government agency. That's what happened with Dhruv and his wife and most of the early victims that Chris, Dave, and Dylan investigated. But by 2016, when Pawan and Jayesh started working, the scam had evolved a more sophisticated technique for going after targets. The scammers no longer had to call the victims themselves. The call center would first blast out robocalls to tens of thousands of Americans, playing a recorded message telling them that they were in trouble for not paying their taxes and asking them to call a number to sort things out. Most people would ignore the message. But a small percentage of targets would get genuinely alarmed and call back. This was an innovation that made the scammers more effective. 
a target who called back was more likely to ultimately fall for the scam because they had already fallen for the first con. The skeptics had already been screened out. The callers at the Mirror Road call center could concentrate on the most viable targets. And when those victims did call back, the scammers were ready for them with personal information they'd stolen from online databases. The early victims, the ones who were targeted by the immigration scam, reported that the callers knew things, like when their work visas were due to expire. The scammers had collected all that from websites where victims had posted their resumes. But back to Pawan and Jayesh, our men on the front lines. But tell me, let's fast forward to the first person that you successfully scammed. I, I, I can tell you that. Yeah. Uh, it was a guy, I, I actually don't know where he used to live, but he was out for a vacation in Florida. He had around $1,500 with him, and I, he got that uh, voicemail, and he called me. Okay, I received the call, and we started talking. The guy seemed afraid. Jayesh doesn't remember exactly what the script was. What he does remember is telling the guy that he owed money. Jayesh told him to load $500 onto a prepaid card, then another $500 onto another card. Then he told the victim, you'll need to give more. And after that, he was out of all the money as he was out for the vacation. And now that he doesn't have any money, he still managed to go for another 200. He took that money from his friend, and that was my first ever, uh, what do you say, a sale. We used to say this as a sale, but it is not a sale, yeah. Right. And Jaish, what was your, like, how did you feel after this happened? I actually felt nothing. I was quite happy. Uh, I means this was something I never would have believed could happen. That call meant a commission of $15 for Jayesh, money that could buy him two or three good dinners at a local restaurant. It was a big deal, and it felt like just the start. Jayesh could see that the sheer volume of victim calls was staggering. On a floor of more than 100 employees ready to answer calls, everybody was busy. We used to get calls every second and three to four calls lined up, which you can't receive. That is the amount of uh, people calling us. And we are hundreds of people sitting here. So you just imagine how many people are actually afraid and what the amount of data they had. And at first, it felt good. Pawan remembers for the first time in his life, he was starting to make real money. In one day, I scammed almost $6,000, okay. So uh, in that floor, they are appreciating me. Wow, something swag. <laughs> it feels like it's a proud thing, right? The money, that's all that mattered. Say you made $5,000, just $5,000. You made a good money, right? You made almost around uh, 2.5 lakhs. And now you can't make 2.5 lakhs here in Mumbai. It is impossible. For a 20-year-old, for a 21-year-old, this is not possible. It's, it's a very simple that. explanation. Yeah. So, so it's like, you, there's no need to elaborate yeah. very much. <laughs> yeah. Now this, I'll tell you, if, if you get this opportunity, when you are going to do it. Nobody is going to think what he is doing actually, that I'm scamming someone, this is wrong, karma, and nobody talks like this. 
even in america if you go to some state if you pick up four to five boys you give them this opportunity i am sure they are going to do it nobody is going to take a step back this is a human nature there there is, there is not much difference uh, among those four to five boys i just gave you the example in us there is not much difference if you give me an offer to make 2 lakhs 3 lakhs rupees in a month i am very much interested to do it okay but jayesh knew he wasn't the only one who was making out well yeah and now i know all the calculations uh, i was calculating everything i was just trying to understand how much these guys would make in a day how much these guys are making in a month jayesh had heard rumors there was one guy who was making the most money out of the whole operation he seemed to be getting a percentage of every successful call the guy at the top of this pyramid and jayesh knew his name shaggy the workers at the call center mostly just whispered about shaggy he was like this mythical figure but one day jayesh saw him there was already talking on the floor that shaggy is coming shaggy is coming so we knew that he's coming and then he came and obviously if he's coming and a lot of bodyguards there so we knew that this is the guy that's right he had bodyguards and that made an impression on everyone jayesh doesn't remember what shaggy looked like but he remembers something more relevant i don't remember his face i just remember he was he looked rich you sometimes you just look at a person yeah and you you could say that this guy is really looking rich yeah and we already had heard about him that he has 12 cars he had a private jet he had a lot of bouncers we heard a lot of things and and after hearing so many things you see that guy you will already have that feeling this guy is really rich dave chris and dylan are guys who gave a shit were hearing these stories too and they were methodically working their way up through the scam call organization until shaggy was in their crosshairs that's next time on scam likely Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes now or listen weekly on Amazon Music and you can even listen on your Amazon Alexa simply by saying Alexa play Chameleon Scam Likely on Amazon Music Chameleon is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment Scam Likely was produced and written by Eric Benson, Johnny Kaufman and me Yudhijit Bhattacharjee Callie Hitchcock and Yiwen Lai Tremuen were our associate producers. The show was fact-checked by Sarah Ivry. Sound design and original music by Mark McAdam. Additional music by Samba Jean-Baptiste. Special thanks to Campside's operations team, Alea Papes and Doug Slavin. The executive producers at Campside are Matt Sher, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Josh Dean, and Adam Hoff.